Now, we're going to talk a little bit about that mission this morning. Uh, my final four sermons in this series, uh, we've called Remember This. And I'm sharing four things that have been foundational in my approach, not only to ministry, but in my understanding and approach to living life as a follower of Christ. Last week, we talked about those two qualities that most define Jesus. It says he was filled with grace and truth. And we went on to say that those are the two qualities that should most define his church and you and I, that we are people who live with overflowing grace, overflowing truth, and in that order. So this morning, we're going to talk about, some, about a way that Jesus has taught us to see the world. In fact, it's the very same way that Jesus saw the world, and he still does. And that's this, that everything is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. Now, our world has a big vision problem. I guess you could call it like it's got this double vision. It doesn't see clearly. And it's built around this idea that's sometimes called the sacred-secular split. It's the idea that the thing that some things are sacred in this world, like spiritual things and holy things and going to church and uh, religious stuff, that's all, that's sacred stuff. That's the spiritual stuff. And God is really, really interested in all those things. But then most everything else in the world, the other stuff, it's the secular stuff. It's the physical stuff. It's the material stuff. It's all temporary, it's fading away, and those are the things that don't matter too, too much to God at all. So to illustrate this, you all get up early this morning, it's a Sunday, and you got ready, you came to church, we have just spent the last 30 minutes or so singing and worshiping God and, and pouring our souls out to Him, we have had our, some of you have had your hands lifted, some of you closed your eyes. We clapped to some of the songs. This was a very, very spiritual time. This morning, we're, we're getting into his word. This is a very, very sacred spiritual time. And we need to do this. This is vitally important. But in just a few minutes, if I keep my sermon short, then we're all going to be going back out through those doors into a, another six days of the rest of our sometimes considered secular, physical, menial, unspiritual, relatively meaningless part of our lives. And then we'll come back to the sanctuary again next Sunday and do the spiritual thing again. But you know what the Lord says about that? <clears throat> he says, no way. No, no. When you leave this sanctuary, you're simply stepping out into my larger sanctuary. I created this earth, this universe. It is my sanctuary. Now, God taught this to Isaiah the prophet in a very profound way that Isaiah would never have forgotten. Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah goes into the temple. He goes there to worship God. And when he goes in, God gives him a vision of the highest order of angels called seraphim, and they are singing a song over and over and over again. It's a very short song. It has one line in it, and it goes like this. 
Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And notice that the angels did not sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole temple is full of his glory. No, they sung the whole entire earth, the world is filled with God's glory. You know, I think God was trying to get a message across to Isaiah that day and having angels sing it over and over and over again. And this must have transformed Isaiah's whole life. Isaiah's vision got healed that day. That the holiness of God, that which is spiritual, is not confined to the great temple of Solomon. But this entire world is sacred. This entire world is a sanctuary that God created, intended to be filled with the worship and the praises of God's people wherever we are on any square inch of this planet. We see this at the very beginning in the book of Genesis. We read the way that God created in those first six days or stages of creation. And the way this first chapter is written, God, he was doing this like an artist. And he was, he was, God was fascinated with what he was doing when he was creating everything. Uh, God said, wow, after every day of creation. You know, he says, and God saw that it was good what he had done. And what is all that stuff that God was so wowed by? Well, same stuff that National Geographic magazine has been giving these, these beautiful portraits of for like 100 years. It was, it was the environment that God was creating. It was nature. He was struck by the mountains, the valleys, the plant life. He was struck by the birds and the sea life and, and all those things. And then at the end, on the sixth day, the very culmination of his creation, God got super excited. And he, he sort of said a double wow. After he created human beings, Adam and Eve, our parents, it says God stepped back and it was very very, very good. You know, sometimes we get um, to take our, our, cre- our natural creation and even one another for granted. But you know, God has never stopped being excited about all that he's created. Human beings, the duck-billed platyp- platypus, <laughs> the, the hummingbird, God is excited about his creation because it is his holy, sacred sanctuary. And then God placed Adam and Eve in a garden in the middle of the rest of that uncultivated, untamed earth, Garden of Eden, and he gave them the mission to be co-creators with him by doing the two things that he spells out in Genesis 1.28. And this is what Genesis 1.28 says. God blessed them, he blessed Adam and Eve, and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So, two things God is saying to Adam and Eve, and this is the mission. And incidentally, this mission is still in force. It's never changed. We'll say more about that in a minute. First of all, he says, Fill the earth. In other words, begin to populate this planet, giving birth to generations of human beings 
who are going to be gifted and, and call, have different callings and skills and abilities and talents, who will then go out, and the second thing is subdue the planet. That word subdue there means to develop. It means to draw wisely from the resources that God has filled this planet with so that, so that they could spread the beauty of the Garden of Eden all over this planet. And they would do that with, the, with those God-given callings and, and abili- abilities and talents that God had given. It's such a variety. For instance, God had in mind things like this. Homemakers, farmers, builders, construction workers, engineers, architects, entrepreneurs, uh, scientists, biologists, zoologists, botanists, astronomers, athletes, artists, authors, music- musicians, chefs, bakers, and you could go on and on and include your own profession in this list. And what was this all about? He was sending them out in his sanctuary to worship him by using all those gifts and talents as they went to work to spread the beauty and glory of God to the entire earth. So everything, every career, every job, every gifting, it was holy and sacred. It was ministry in God's temple. And the rhythm of life originally was to be The seventh day is the Sabbath day. That's that day set aside where you do not go out to your tasks and work. You come together in that format to worship God. But then the other six days are equally days of worship. They just have a different format. And that is we're worshiping God by the the calling that he's given us in the way we go about it. So God in creation. He, had, he entertained no idea, no such idea as this sacred, spirit, or this sacred secular split. That never entered God's mind. But then came the crash, the fall, when Adam and Eve sinned. And they turned away from God. They introduced evil into the world with the result that the human family went off on its own to build what kind of a world? A secular world. And to squeeze God off into a little spiritual corner somewhere. In effect, telling God, we don't need you. We can build our world and our lives very well without your help. And so the secular split broke to pieces. The three core relationships upon which God created humanity. Relationship number one. Human beings began to devalue God. Shrinking him down. Turning him into an idol of stone or wood. Sometimes making a new religion of their own. Or sometimes even shrinking God so far down that they shrink him right out of existence. Relationship number two that crumbled human beings began to devalue each other. Self-interest took over, shown right away by Adam and Eve themselves. They started blaming and shaming each other. There was murder between Cain and Abel. There's then slavery and war and abuse and racism and the oppression of women and everything we see on the news every single day. That came pouring into our, our secular world. And then relationship number three, Human beings began to devalue and abuse the planet, its resources, 
and the creatures that God put on this, on this beautiful planet of ours. There began to be pollution. We began to rape planet Earth and, and, and in self-interest just rule the way we treat the planet. And we can see the results. And we still talk about that today in, in our ecological crises. But did God's love for this planet that had fallen away from him, did it become any less than it had been before? Not, not at all. In fact, God immediately set in motion a plan to redeem each of these three broken relationships between himself and people, between people and people, and between people and the planet. And the first thing God did to address this situation was he sent his eternal son, Jesus, to show us how God had originally intended human beings to live in each of those three relationships before sin entered the world. And so what did Jesus do when he came? Well, the first thing he did was he showed everybody how to live a life on earth with uninterrupted love for God. There was no interruption between God and Jesus. He lived as humans were supposed to live before God. And you know what? Jesus' perception of the reality of God and his presence 24-7, God was so real. God was real to him. That's what God always intended for every human being. Secondly, Jesus lived his life on earth with uninterrupted love for people uninterrupted and unbroken by self-interest and sin and abuse. That's what God originally intended, the, the way things to be between people. And then number three, Jesus lived on earth with an uninterrupted love and respect for the planet that he himself had created as his sanctuary. And, and think about this. Jesus, who was God among us, forever elevated manual labor as a high and holy calling of God as an expression of worship to God by working as a carpenter from age 12 to 30 for 18 years of his life. He worshiped God in his profession, his job, his task of building great benches and great chairs, and great tables. And when Jesus built a chair, it didn't wobble. When he put a table together, it stayed together. It didn't fall apart. Jesus did quality work. Why, was he, why did he do that? Because th that's part of the mission. God gave us gifts and abilities, some of which are carpenters, electricians, teachers, educators, doctors, etc. Why? To send us out into creation to work for the glory of God and the benefit of one another. And as a witness, as a witness. And then the second thing Jesus did after he lived a life demonstrating what sinless human life was intended to be, Jesus then, we know, went to the cross, taking on himself the full weight of the blame, the sin, the judgment, for all of humanity's sins, for your sins and my sins, in order to bring the offer of forgiveness to every human being 
and to bring human beings back into harmony with each of these three core relationships that were destroyed and broken at the fall. Now, I want to focus on that third core relationship for a few moments this morning because I think most often in our sermons and our teaching at church, we are focusing on those first two. Jesus died on the cross to restore us to a relationship with God, and then he died on the cross to restore us in our relationships with each other. We talk about those things very much, and we need to. But I think this third one, sometimes we don't talk about that as much. But it's really, really important, and I think we're going to see why as we look at this a little bit. Now, so this is looking at the earth as God's sanctuary. One of the reasons for this neglect of this third core relationship It goes back to the influence of a guy in ancient Greece around 400 B.C. whose name was Plato, okay? You've heard of Plato. Some of you may even read some things about Plato or studied him. I don't know. But he has had an influence on the way we still think in our world today, especially in Western culture. Because Plato taught that that the only thing that is spiritual and eternal are the invisible things like ideas, mind, our souls, our spirit. And so the things that philosophers talk about and and speak about all the time, those, those are the eternal things. And those are the things that are really, really important. They're gonna last forever. But then he also taught on the other side that what is physical, what is material, visible, Things like our planet, our bodies, these are just temporary. They are inferior outer shells. They're just passing away. And so consequently, Plato believed that the highest endeavor of humanity was to contemplate ideas and philosophy and to deal with the things of the soul and the spirit. And that the lowest of all human endeavors human endeavors, was physical manual labor, and that would include that whole list of jobs that we talked about earlier in the sermon, and and the job that you're doing today too. Because they're just of little value. They're earthbound. And so Plato wrote a book called The Republic. And in that book, he set up what his structure for society would be. And of course, he put right at the top the philosopher kings because they're the ones that do the really important stuff. And then when when it came to the trades and physical manual labor, he put that stuff way down at the bottom, just above the slaves. So if Plato would have analyzed Jesus' life, he would have said that those 18 years that Jesus spent being a carpenter, really insignificant, of no value, really. But... He would say, oh, those three years where Jesus really got with it, he started to talk about the soul, the spirit, he started to teach people. That, that, those were the three years that were really valuable in Jesus' life. So a sacred-secular split, a vision problem. Now, in the early centuries, this thinking of Plato began to creep into Christianity. And it caused, caused Christians to think 
that God's plan to redeem human beings from their sins, well, one idea, one route that this took was that the idea was that, well, when a Christian dies, our bodies go back into the ground, back into the dust. When anybody dies, their body goes back into the ground. It goes to dust. And our spirits, our souls, the really important part of us, are taken far, far away from this messed up, ruined planet full of suffering and pain to be with God in heaven for eternity. And that God has given up on this planet because it went off the rails. And that God has, uh, he's not interested in redeeming the physical world. And this began to take such root in the Middle Ages that the idea of having a spiritual calling in life was limited to having a calling within the church, like becoming a priest, a nun, a monk, a theologian. Any other calling, any other career, any other kind of work was considered to be inconsequential. And so during those Middle Age times, the only spiritual thing that people did, as it was taught anyway, was when they came to church services where the vocational priests and nuns brought them into a spiritual environment, a spiritual sanctuary. And that all those other things they did during the week, very little, very little value. So what this is built around is the idea that somehow God switched to an evacuate planet Earth plan and uh, or, or he, yeah, and, and he scrapped his original Occupy the Planet mission plan. But then there was this guy named Martin Luther. Now let me say a little bit about Martin Luther for a second. <clears throat> he lived in the 500s, and, we, and our family discovered in 2010 that we never knew this before, I had any clue, that, you know, I can call Martin Luther my great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-granddad if I went back 19 times. 19 generations ago. So, Granddad Luther, okay? I'll say it to you this morning. Granddad Luther, one day he was reading what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And it goes like this. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that you, should show, that, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness. And it, it hit him like a ton of bricks. Every follower of Jesus is a priest of God. This calling of priesthood is not limited in its most general sense. It's not limited to those people who have a specific vocational calling to be a priest or a pastor or a missionary or someone who spends their, their entire career as a leader in the church. He, it hit him like a ton of bricks and it transformed his entire view of the world. It healed him of his own sacred, secular kind of seeing of things. And so what it made him realize was if you're a follower of Jesus or as a follower of Jesus, if you're a farmer, a homemaker, an engineer, a teacher, a scientist, a musician, a construction worker, a nurse, an artist, a barista, an accountant, a lawyer, or even if you're doing one of those dirty jobs like that TV show a few years ago. Job, watch that. This guy would do some unbelievable jobs that nobody else on the planet would ever want to do. 
But even if you're doing a dirty job, you're out there as a priest representing God in and through your calling and your work because your calling is holy unto the Lord and it matters because God still loves this planet like he always has loved it and our mission renewed by Jesus at the cross, Jesus reinstated the Genesis mandate, the Genesis mission when he died on the cross. He renewed the mission. He brought us back to it to see this entire world as God's sanctuary and you and I in it no matter where we are, whatever job we're doing. We are there to witness to this world by approaching that job as an act of worship and using that place as a missionary and a priest to share the name of Jesus with people in our world. That's the mission. The mission is not confined to the clergy. There's another split, the clergy-laity split. The clergy do the work of the ministry. No, no way. We all do the work of the ministry because we're all the priests and ministers of God in this world if we've been redeemed by Jesus Christ. And so this is true now and forever because God does not have an evacuation plan for our planet. I know we believe the rapture is going to take place one of these days, right? Jesus is going to come. What's he going to do? He's going to catch us all away. And we're going to be instantly changed. And the dead in Christ are going to come bursting up out of their graves to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Where are we going to go when the rapture occurs? Well, we're going to go to be with Jesus in heaven. How long? Well, maybe seven years during the tribulation. That's a whole different sermon. But you know what? He's not taking us to heaven forever. Let's think about this for a second. This is not heresy, okay? <laughs> All right, listen for, listen for just a second. The scriptures teach there is only a temporary departure from our planet between the time of our death when our spirit goes to be with Jesus in heaven and our body goes into the ground or back to the dust. But when our body goes back into that ground while our spirit's with Jesus in heaven, what are we all waiting for? What the apostles talked over, told us about over and over again, the great hope is the day of the resurrection. And what is the resurrection? What is being re resurrected? That body that went into the grave is being resurrected from that grave to be re reunited with the spirit that has temporarily been with Jesus in heaven. And then Jesus is coming back to this planet to set up his eternal kingdom. And the last thing we read of in the book of Revelation is John says, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And then he goes on to tell us, and I saw the holy new city Jerusalem coming where? Coming down out of heaven to the earth. And then God is making his tabernacle, his temple, where? With human beings, where? On this planet earth. God does not have an evacuation plan for planet earth. God has a redemption renewal plan that includes this planet and even the resurrection of our physical bodies. So the, that new resurrection body we have someday, the scriptures teach us. Though it's going, to have a, it's going to be different than this physical body, there's going to be some profound changes, but it's still going to be physical. You're going to be, after Jesus' own resurrection, what did they do? He said, come on up here and touch me. Touch me. 
You could feel his skin. You could feel the skeletal frame under his skin. Jesus was in a body after his resurrection. He still is in a body because he took on humanity, not just for a short time. He took on humanity to become our elder brother for all of eternity. He loves us so deeply and so much. And that's the, that was the stirring of his heart to redeem us all for eternity. And he is going to be with us. Heaven and earth are going to merge on this planet someday. And so we can live with a vision now as Christians. Seeing what God originally intended this planet to be as his sanctuary and how, how it has gotten messed up and broken to pieces. But we're still on a mission to show and teach the world and to give them a sign of what the age to come is going to look like when God renews this planet. Remember what Paul told those Christians in Romans chapter, uh, chapter 8? He says, uh, he talks about how the whole world is groaning, how the whole world was subjected to futility. But what is the world waiting for? Paul says it there. It's waiting for the day of the resurrection to see the liberty of the sons and daughters of God. Because on that day of our resurrection, God is going to, he's going to cleanse and renew this entire planet to its original beauty. Eden is not lost. Eden is going to be restored to this planet in all of its grandeur and beauty. And we have that lying out in front of us. I'm excited about that. So here's what I want us to remember today. You don't have to be a pastor or a missionary to be in full-time ministry. You are in the full-time ministry. I ordain you, <laughs> okay? I ordain you all today to the full-time ministry. You have, you've been credentialed, every single one here, every follower of Jesus. Everything you do in this sacred world sanctuary, your 40 hours at work, you are a spiritual leader representing Jesus. That's your ministry. Your time with your family, it's your ministry. Your time here with the church community, volunteering, serving, that's part, that's a part of the big picture of your calling and ministry. That transform, transform your job, no matter what it is, from being simply a menial or meaningless thing. It, it elevates it to worship and providing a service to others in God's creation. One of the jobs I had when I was uh, a student between college semesters one summer, and I've told you this before, but back in Titusville, Pennsylvania, they had a plastic plant. They built pipes and plastic pipe and those things. So they took on a, a contract from the Whammo Corporation. And Whammo, one of the things they built were hula hoops. And so I got to be part of the 1968 or 9 hula hoop revival. Uh, I was on the production line. And my job for two months during that summer, from eight till four every day, with like half hour for lunch or something, was uh, I, okay, we had this tube. There was a, a plug in one end, you know, with the open hole in the other. I stood on the end with the open hole. There was a box of BBs. I took three BBs out of that box, put them into that end of that tube, and then I walked together to meet the guy with the plug in the middle. Then we handed it over to the stapler, who stapled it together, and then another guy put a label around it, and then they sent it down to the box, and they shipped them out. And we had foremen walking around there just 
you know, honest, you know, competition between each assembly line. And so for eight hours, except for that 30-minute lunch thing, I, all I did was put three BBs in the end of a tube, okay? Now, did I want to spend the rest of my life there? Okay. No, I didn't. Uh, I felt like the Lord probably has, you know, another, you know, something else <laughs> in my life for me to do. However, here's what I'm, I want to say here. You may be in a place today where you feel like the current job that you have, God has more for you. God has something further. And you know what? That's, it's fine. In fact, it's a healthy thing to aspire to, to the things of the future, to keep your heart open to that. That's a healthy thing to do. And I will encourage you to do it. But here's what I also want to say is that, you know, put out your resume. I mean, go get the training you need if, you, if there's a new, a new call, a new unfolding in your calling. Take those steps. However, until that new door opens or that next place opens, I believe God has called us to approach whatever that job might be as a priest of God, representing him at the hula hoop factory. Putting those BBs into the end of that tube and saying, Father, thank you (laughs) that you've given me the opportunity, the dexterity with my fingers, Whatever you can think to give God praise for, give God praise that you're alive and that you can represent him where you are in that hula hoop assembly line. Let the praises and the glory of God shine out of your life to the other people in that assembly line, that, that place. And do it, do it worshiping God in the sanctuary of his creation. That, that hula hoop factory was part of God's sanctuary. And it... You know what? I don't think I knew that very well at that time. <laughs> I didn't have this theology. It would probably change the way I approached that job. Uh, if I could have said, you know what? I went to church at the Titusville Assembly of God last Sunday morning, and we worshiped and praised God, and all oh, that, man, it was great. But now I'm walking Monday morning down to the sanctuary over here on the other end of town at the plastics plant. That's God's sanctuary, too, and I'm going to build hula hoops today for his glory. I believe That's the comprehensive redemption package that God has given to the church. He's given to his people because we are the priests of God. And God said to Isaiah, and he had to drill it home again and again before Isaiah got the message, the earth is full of the glory of God, and it still is today. We represent that. So uh, so here's here's the second thing. No matter what your past or your present circumstances. This theology, this redemption of Jesus, sets in front of you today, no matter what your past or your present is, and stretching into eternity a very bright and a very productive future as a a priest of God, a child of God. Because your life, God's plan for your life, is to reflect his glory. And... And he's the author and finisher of our salvation. And like I said earlier in the message, when God starts a story, his intention is to bring that story to glory, to bring that story to to wonderful things. That's true for the upcoming chapters of your life, no matter what the past chapters might have been. He is the God who redeems us from our brokenness and gives us a new future. That's who God is. 
That's what this is all about. He makes all things new. The creation, your life, so that we can show his glory and worship him with every fiber of our beings. So my prayer is this morning that there's only two things we can do. We can either continue walking in Christ if you're already a believer with this hope in your heart, or if you haven't come to Christ, you can come to Jesus. And you will find all of what we're talking about in a relationship with him that'll begin to revolutionize and transform your life because he died on that cross for the sins that separate us from him and that separate you from him. Cause us to come and confess our sins, to receive his forgiveness. He comes into our lives and then he begins to unfold everything we're talking about here this morning. And you've, you've, if you've never done that, my prayer is that you today will receive Christ Invite him into your life so that you can live in his worldwide, universal-wide sanctuary. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you today for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for your truth. Lord, thank you for placing us in this sanctuary. And even though it's fallen, Lord, we represent your glory every day. We go out into it. Help us to love the people that we see, Lord, in the factory or the office. Help us to love them like you love them and see them like you see them. Help us to be on mission, Lord, and not just waiting to be evacuated and taken out of here. But, Lord, while we're here, help us to go in with boldness. Help us to get out there in this world with boldness and, and let the light and life in, of Christ Jesus shine through us. That's our mission. So, Lord, we give you praise. We give you thanks for all of these things. And we pray them in Jesus' great name. Amen.